Hey there, Toho Yaro listeners. Alex here. A disclaimer about this month's episode. During recording, I ended up losing the first half of the episode on my end, so in other words, you won't hear me at all for the first half, which may be ideal depending on your preference, and it's okay because Joey's hosting this episode anyway. I edited around the bits where I give my two cents, so the only bit that may sound inconsistent is regarding a parallel that I made between Takashi Shimura's character in this film and his character in Ikiru. All that aside, please enjoy this month's episode of Toho Yaro. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro, a mo- monthly Japanese film club podcast. I'm the host this month, Joey Weiser, and with me are my co-hosts, Alex Kazanas. Hey, Alex. And Scott Dryman. Hey, Scott. Hey, Joey. Hey, yeah, so a little uh, a little behind the scenes talk. It's been a little longer uh, uh, than our usual break in between recordings, so excuse us if we're a little rusty, but, you know, end of the year, new year is a busy time. <laughs> um, but speaking of which, it's the start of a new year, so uh, I wanted to give a little bit of lip service to kind of like looking back on our first full year. We covered a lot of great stuff, uh, you know, old and new. Um, and it's been really fun. Um, so maybe establishing a new year tradition, <laughs> we have returned to the world of Torasan with another Otoko Watsuraio film. Um, and this is Torasan's Love Call from 1971. <laughs> Um, for a full history of the series, as well as a closer look at its cast and directors, uh, you can check out uh, episode 8, where we covered the original Torasan, uh, Torasan, Our Lovable Tramp. Um, uh, but I do want to kind of briefly... Um, uh, talk about some of the people involved. Um, as usual, the director uh, is Yoji Yamada, who's the co-creator, co-writer, and director of 46 of the 48 Torasan films. And of course, we've got Kiyoshi Atsumi returning as uh, Torajiro Kuruma, aka Torasan, uh, Chieko Baisho playing his sister Sakura, uh, Gin Maeda uh, plays Sakura's husband Hiroshi, who I think is particularly worth mentioning this time around because he has a uh, pretty large role uh, in part of the film. And uh, Shin Morikawa plays Tatsuzo, Torasan's uncle, and this is actually the last film that he appeared in, um, or at least the last Torasan film. He passed away a few months after this film's release. Um, Tora's uncle is the only character that has a changing cast of actors uh, with three total. Um, so, you know, he's great, and I'm kind of glad that we get to cover um, another one of his films uh, before kind of moving forward. Um, Junko Ikeuchi is uh, a newcomer to the film series. Uh, She plays Takako Rokuhara, the Madonna of the film, or the love interest. Um, She's not an actress that I'm particularly familiar with. Um, Kind of looking over her credits, it looks like she was, like, pretty active in the 50s and 60s. And this film is actually one of her last film credits. She seems to mostly have worked in TV following 
uh, in the sort of following decades uh, until she passed in 2010. Yeah, notable um, to our fans, then, uh, she was apparently in a lot of uh, uh, super giant uh, movies, which is Japan's first uh, uh, media, uh, film superhero. Oh, cool. Um, and she's also in a series of uh, films that I'm unfamiliar with, but they're about things happening at a train station that are all <laughs> something, something at a train station. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, before uh, the Torasan series, uh, Kiyoshi Yatsumi was in a few train movies, a lot of <laughs> train, train stuff uh, to talk about in Japan, I guess. Um, and of course, uh, this film features Takashi Shimura, uh, playing Sakura's father-in-law. Um, and Shimura, as of this recording, has now appeared in about one-third of the ep- episodes we've recorded so far. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think we mentioned this on Twitter, but he's he's definitely the actor that's appeared in the most movies that we've covered. Yeah, we were trying to figure out who the runner-up was, and it seems like it's maybe like one of um, Bitakeshi's guys or something like that that in some of the more modern movies that we've seen uh, that kind of appears from time to time, but um, it, they don't even come close to <laughs> our Shimura account at the moment. One notable exception is uh, Gajiro Sato, who usually plays the priest's assistant, uh, Genshan, who's sort of like Tora's uh, sidekick character sometimes, is absent from this film. Um, he was in a car accident prior to the filming, making this the only Torasan film that he does not appear in. Yeah. Um, so, uh, getting into the movie itself, um, the film opens with Tora taking refuge from the rain in a small theater that's closed for rehearsal, and uh, or maybe just closed because it's raining and nobody wants to come in or something. But um, he has a friendly conversation with the head of the theater troupe and is... Uh, escorted to the train by one of the young actresses. Um, Tora, at this point, kind of acts big and gives the actress some money to bring back to the troupe, but after she leaves, he realizes that he's given her more than he'd intended. (laughs) Whoops. Classic Tora. Um, Then we go into the opening theme. Uh, As usual, as Tora introduces himself as the wandering salesman, always making his poor sister cry, uh, we get a funny kind of pantomime bit as the theme plays where Tora is playing with some kids and accidentally trips over a young couple sitting in the grass. Um, then we move into the movie proper uh, with the scene uh, of Sakura, his sister, uh, returning to her aunt and uncle's uh, home slash candy shop with her son Mitsuo, who's now about four or five years old. Uh, he was born at the end of the first movie. So Mitsuo is really, I mean, everyone obviously ages, but Mitsuo is really... Uh, the best kind of, excuse me, the best kind of gauge for uh, watching time pass, (laughs) as as is the case with children, I guess. (laughs) Um, So Sakura is embarrassed because she had heard a parent scolding their child to study or else they would become like Tora. And um, they're kind of talking about this. And just then they actually catch a glimpse of Tora walking by the entrance. He's finally come home uh, yet again. And uh, the... um, octopus-like owner of the printing factory next door, who's nicknamed Taco, uh, which means octopus, uh, 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 arrives and uh, they try to act casual to welcome Tora in, not wanting Tora to feel, you know, ashamed for the fact that he kind of breezes in and out of town, but uh, they overdo it and Tora can tell that it's a ruse. Uh, The uncle's overacting is particularly funny in this, uh, being kind of like, hey, Tora, but then... uh, 
Taco entering in and screaming and tripping over Sakura is hilarious. Yeah, I don't um, remember uh, Tatsuzo being quite as goofy in the first film that we saw, but he's definitely yeah. a lot more silly in this one. Yeah, he's he's hamming it up a lot. He, you get a lot of those kind of like hand on your hips. Oh, <laughs> you kind of, uh, uh, you know, mug shots from him for sure in this film. Um, so all this, uh, you know, over uh, friendly, welcoming uh, backfires, of course, and Tora ends up mad, feeling like they're making fun of him. Um, Tora goes to the factory next door and says hello to the workers, including Sakura's husband, Hiroshi. Uh, but then they all end up laughing at him as he accidentally, accidentally uh, uh, wipes ink all over his face, kind of calling back to the original a little bit. And uh, Tora yells at the workers and storms out. Um, this outburst causes one of the workers to quit that evening. And just as Hiroshi rushes off to deal with that, uh, Tora arrives home drunk with two uh, drunken randos, <laughs> some old dudes that he picked up at the bar, I guess. And this is what follows is a very uncomfortable scene uh, where they demand that Sakura sing for them and she obliges but starts to cry and Tora sees what he's done and this kind of sobers him up a bit and he leaves ashamed. Yeah, that and, was uh, uh, that was the moment in this movie where I was like, I, I, I was going into this kind of hoping that Tora would be a, a little bit more sympathetic and I got to this mm. scene and I was like, oh no, he's still a monster. <laughs> we got to start off strong, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, even though this scene is kind of hard to watch, I do like it for the fact that it, uh, one nice thing about it is that it highlights how excellent of a singer Baisho is. Um, I just like that kind of little element of it. And it also kind of reinforces um, Sakura and Tora's roles within their family, because as he leaves, Sakura is left to kind of ask him to stay. But uh, regardless, he... He leaves town again, and uh, so time passes, and the family gets a telegram from Hiroshi's father um, asking for Hiroshi to return home because the uh, their mother is very ill. Um, he and Sakura leave at once, uh, but unfortunately they're too late, and by the time they arrive in Hiroshi's hometown, the mother has died. Um, Sakura meets the rest of Hiroshi's family for the first time, which is uh, kind of terrible circumstances for that to happen, but... Um, he has two brothers and a sister. Um, his dad is in his study at this point, continuing his work, which seemingly is kind of both a way of dealing with grief, but also a reflection of his character as this, you know, uh, always studious professor. Um, and so uh, later, to everyone's surprise, Torsan shows up at the funeral, of course. <laughs> he had been traveling and had heard the news, um, and of course... Uh, he isn't dressed in black or anything because he was, you know, uh, on his travels. But uh, so because he's not in the proper uh, film or funeral attire, uh, Sakura tries to kind of shoo him away. But a spare black outfit is given to him. It's a it's this <laughs> ill-fitting black suit with long coattails. And it looks really silly on him, especially uh, that he uh, forgets to put away his uh, signature brown hat. Uh has to sort of sheepishly carry it around with him. And so Tora continues to bungle the funeral uh, by playing around at lunch. Uh, he's uh, at the table pretending to be a Yakuza gambler, playing around with the cup and food, uh, <laughs> even going as far as to like put a little thing on his eye as a little like eye patch and stuff. 
Um, a thing that I really love about this scene is that behind Tora, out the door, you can see these kids playing in the street. And this really kind of like reinforces that he's got more of their mindset than the adults that he's <laughs> seated with. Um, at the grave, uh, the family gathers to take a photo and Sakura urges Tora to take the picture so that all the immediate family can be included. Um, and so Tora uh, does it, but there's this thing where this gag where Tora says, you know, smile and everyone's horrified. Um, and so after he's scolded about this, he uh, barely changes his tone and is like, okay, cry. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, I that was super uncomfortable, but that like, I thought that was a good, like dark comedic beat at least. Yeah. Was, it's a great joke. Real amused by that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of calls back a little bit to the like butter thing also too, a little bit from the first movie. Yeah. Like I could almost see them slipping that in into that or something, but like I said, I have zero sympathy for for Torreson throughout these movies, mm-hmm. just because he's so monstrous to his family. <laughs> but it, this the, these scenes kind of toned it down for me because he's being like stupid and oafish. But it's more of like a, a it's it's back to the Homer Simpson level instead of like I am like making my family cry because of how selfish I am. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at with the stuff about the kids in the background. Like, I think he's a big kid, you know, and he's kind of dumb, you know, Homer Simpson style and doesn't think about what he does and stuff. And, uh, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, what level of sympathy you have for, you know, a 40 year old man who's a big kid or whatever. But um, for however very old he is at this point. But um, anyway. So at dinner that night, it's just uh, Hiroshi's dad, our, our dude, Takashi Shimura, and uh, his children and their spouses. And they're shocked to learn that uh, their father plans to live by himself rather than moving in with one of them. Uh, they talk about their mother at this point, and Hiroshi has this emotional outburst where he insists that none of them knew her true feelings. She had confided in him one time uh, that she had dreamt of international travel and a sort of like metropolitan life of luxury but put that dream away when she married uh, their father. And Hiroshi says that he wanted to buy a house in Tokyo and have her move in with them so that she could at least have some time in the city, but he could never afford it. Uh, This is a really moving uh, moment, I think, uh, for Hiroshi and and further illustrates that he's sort of separate from his family. Like if you kind of remember from the first movie, he'd been estranged from the family and hadn't seen his father until his wedding and stuff. Um, yeah, this is kind of a uh, B plot, but I found it to be like incredibly I, like I would just watch a movie about this. It's so engrossing, and all those moments are incredibly well acted. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, I, was I also, think that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it's also kind of, uh, I guess, shockingly progressive for gender politics for Japan in the seventies to kind of stand up for like this woman made sacrifices to be this like stay at home wife and mom when she had all these dreams and ambitions and that, uh, he's, uh, sticking up for her saying that like, no, she should have followed these ambitions. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I mean, just based on these, this one in the first movie, um, uh, uh, Gin Maeda who plays Hiroshi, like, has pretty big roles in both of those. But in, in some movies, he kind of just falls back to the wayside as just another member of the sort of like background cast. So I, I like that he does get a moment to shine in this. Um, 
and he's great in it. And I also couldn't help but feel uh, for Sakura in this scene because she had just met these people and it was a sort of incredibly awkward uh, <laughs> moment for her yeah. uh, to be among them as they're having this uh, heartfelt conversation. So after Sakura uh, and her family return back to Shibamata, she phones Hiroshi's dad to check in on him. But to her surprise, Tora answers the phone. Uh, he had decided to check in on uh, her father-in-law and is staying with him for a few days. Uh, he assures her not to worry about him being a bother and agrees to let uh, him know that she had called. Uh, and then after he hangs up, <laughs> Hiroshi's dad comes by to ask uh, what Tora wants for dinner and they end up going out together to the market. There's a pretty funny little gag here where Tora realizes like, oh, I forgot to tell you. Uh, but it's not that he forgot to tell him that uh, Sakura called. He just had to remind him to bring home more sake because he finished uh, the rest of the sake in the house. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tora, bad job. Um, so uh, they go into town together and we get uh, some kind of cute interactions uh, between the two. I, I like their chemistry a lot, a sort of odd couple uh, of sorts. Uh, yeah, um, I like I like this a lot too. And I think a large part of that is because uh, Shimmer's character, I think, understands Tora and understands like how he is and what motivates him and is not bothered by it. He's just like, yeah, this guy's here. I, I'm just going to go along with this. Mm-hmm. And so he's never yeah. like really shocked or outraged at the dumb stuff that that Torsan does he's just kind of kind of goes along with it and he's like yeah that's just what he's gonna do it's true it's true he's a he's a he's a sort of sympathetic uh view uh or he has a sort of sympathetic view on Tora rather than just kind of being like how could you <laughs> get out of my house you know uh so that night uh Hiroshi's father asks Tora if he likes this solitary life on the road and Tora says that he does but uh, then Hiroshi's dad goes into this monologue about a time when he was traveling for work by himself. Uh, this is Shimura's big shining moment on the film. Of course, he he tells a moving story about walking along a country road at sunset uh, after missing the bus. He felt lonely on this dark road and came a- upon a uh, farmhouse with gentians blooming in the front yard. Uh, gentians, that I guess, are a flower. I, I wasn't super familiar with them. I googled them. I guess they're kind of violet or something, but... Um... Yeah, it's a huge, uh, anyway. like, something. Yeah. So through through this uh, house's window, he could see the family eating in their brightly lit din- uh, dining room. And uh, he, he recalls some details about the family and kind of repeats the essentials, like the gentians blooming in the yard, a brightly lit dining room, a happy family eating supper. And he says that this is the true picture of life and that uh, at the time he had been moved to tears. He tells Tora that a man cannot live alone. And Tora also is moved by this, uh, and after ruminating on it, he decides to leave in the morning. Um, yeah, did you guys kind of get the signal that this was kind of like <laughs> uh, Shimura's uh, big monologue moment, uh, similar to in the first film? I, I mean, obviously, like any time that he is just on screen, kind of monologuing is is pretty magnetic, just because of how good he is. Yeah, um, totally. But yeah, I wasn't sure if he was going to have any like other big turn in the film or not, or, or or if this was like his big thing. He definitely like comes back into it, but like I feel like this is the standout moment for him. Uh, I, I was also going to point out that like there are also Ikiru parallels in that he's 
an older man kind of like reevaluating his values when it's Mm -hmm. maybe a little late to be doing so. Yeah. Kind of in the face of death a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we so at this point we cut back to Shibamata uh, at Tora's family's sweet shop, uh, where they meet uh, Takako uh, Rokuhara, uh, a lovely new newcomer uh, to town, who has just opened a, a coffee shop near the temple. And uh, when she leaves, they remark that they are glad that Tora is not in town because she's just the type that he'd fall for, and uh, they'd seen it enough times to know uh, that this would just lead to heartbreak and calamity as usual. Obviously, they've been paying attention through the movies. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, uh, right on time, uh, um, Tora walks in, and uh, he's taken on this sort of new set of mannerisms, attempting to be this kind of proper guy that he imagines uh, Hiroshi's dad was talking about in the story. Um, and so at this point, Takako returns, and Tora's family kind of rushes him upstairs uh, before he can spot her. Um, and after she leaves, there's the funny part where Tora remarks uh, that he had noticed that new coffee shop, and his aunt is like, no, 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 coffee's bad for you. I'll, I'll make you some tea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I think this is a kind of ongoing uh, little joke that I think that relates to Tora being a sort of like old timey uh, va- old Japanese value guy that coffee is kind of a newfangled thing and it would be weird for Tora to be into coffee. Um, but so that night, uh, Tora attempts to tell his family the moving story that he'd heard from um, uh, Hiroshi's dad, but they don't quite get it. And Tora chalks this up to them being uneducated. But I think it's also just that they don't, he's not quite as convincing as Shimura in relaying the story. You know, uh, also, I Hiroshi fully... does understand it. He kind of sees it as the value of everyday life. And Sakura bluntly explains that uh, she sees it as saying that Tora wants to get married. Um, yeah, I think this... it's that, that Torjiro doesn't really understand the story. So he's like, he kind of half understands and then bounces it off his family to have them like explain it to him. Yeah, right. He's like, he's still sort of in awe of having it being told to him, but he's kind of not uh, fully processing it, you know? (laughs) Um, And so this idea of him being married, of course, makes him bashful. And he says like, yeah, I guess that's basically it. And he says that he wouldn't be picky. Uh, He, even if she had a kid, say in the third grade, he'd be happy. (laughs) Uh, very specific detail, but of course, uh, the next day, Tora crum- comes across a very sad third grader uh, and tries to console him. And uh, the boy's mother arrives, and of course, it's Takako. Um, <laughs> um, what a coincidence. <laughs> uh, Tora is lovestruck instantly, and they exchange some kind words as Tora tries to play it cool. Um, and after uh, t- t- Takako and her son leave, uh, Tora trips over a step and kind of stumbles home uh, in a daze. That night, uh, Tora asks the, the the company manager next door if he knows that woman. And, and Tora is assuming that she's a widow. Uh, but uh, Tako, the, the, the manager, uh, reminds Tora that she may not be a single, which distresses Tora, who goes up to bed without dinner. Uh, then the next day, uh, Tora stubs his toe, and we, and uh, when he's kind of like bleeding a little bit, a, a kind woman hands him a tissue, and he, of course, assumes it's uh, Takako, but instead it's his sister Sakura, 
this enrages Torah. <laughs> and uh, after this is uh, overseen by the, the company manager, uh, uh, he, like, the, the manager, like, <laughs> cackles and drives off <laughs> on his little scooter. Uh, but uh, Torah chases after him and chases him into the coffee shop where he sees Takako working. Um, Torah wanders out, love struck again, and heads home uh, where his family sees that, yes, in fact, he's definitely met her at this point. Uh, there's a nice scene uh, in Tora's room where uh, Tora confides in Sakura that he's uh, conflicted about falling in love with a woman who may be married. Um, and just then Takako stops by and they chat. Uh, here we learn that she is not, in fact, married. She's uh, she's actually a widow. And the sad this this is a sad fact that makes Tora very happy. <laughs> he cheers up instantly. Um, again, maybe not quite taking in the reality of the situation. <laughs> Um, the next day, uh, Tora can tell that his uncle and Taco, the manager, are uh, talking about him uh, when they think he's gone and he confronts them. He spits out, you know, what's wrong with me drinking coffee, even though nobody had mentioned <laughs> coffee. And he tr tries to deny what everyone knows uh, is going on and pretends to, you know, casually go to the coffee shop. You know, I, I don't care. I'll just go to the coffee shop. Um <laughs> And uh, Tora sees Sakura by the coffee shop and insists that she join him for uh, a drink. So uh, inside, Tora is a giggling, bashful teen. And uh, Sakura tries to lead uh, him and Takako in pleasant conversation. But uh, Tora kind of takes things too far and, and is kind of messing everything up. And uh, at this point, workers come in and kind of with the place bustling with customers, uh, Tora takes the opportunity to like, leave coolly and say, you know, oh, I don't really care for coffee, uh, and leaves his wallet with Sakura to pay, uh, being the big man. But of course, there's not enough money in that wallet, and Sakura has to kind of sneak in some of her own money to, to pay for the drinks. Um, Tora comes across Takako's son, whose name is Manabu, um, who is uh, sadly sitting by himself as other boys play together. Tora enlists the boy to look out for him while he steals some cakes from the temple, and this catches the attention of the other boys, and they all rush off together uh, and kind of stumble in a big around in this uh, big grassy hill and eat the cakes together and and laugh and stuff. And it's a it's a heartwarming scene. The boy returns home to Takako with his new friends, and she learns that this was uh, Tora's doing, endearing her to him even more. And uh, then uh, so she goes to thank Tora and. The family overhears him having a nice conversation where he's essentially throwing them under the bus, uh, claiming that they are nearly dead, uh, which <laughs> enrages the uncle, uh, which in retrospect is kind of sad that his uncle did actually pass away very soon after that. But um, after she leaves, they get in a fight and uh, Tora leaves once again. Uh, I, a thing I like about this bit is as he's leaving, he calls out for Sakura to like, don't stop me, Sakura, but she's not even there. Yeah, um, that was like... Yeah, he, he leans on Sakura so much in, like, every aspect of his life, and he knows that she will bail him out of stuff. And so, like, that moment where he says, Sakura, don't stop me, and they yell at him, she's not here, is, like, kind of crushing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, I think it says a lot, for sure. Um, so, but Tora does not, in fact, leave town. He just kind of creeps outside Takako's coffee shop that night. <laughs> Um, and doesn't end up coming home at all. 
Uh, Tora tries to come back uh, to the sweet shop the next day uh, like nothing happened, but the uncle gives him uh, the cold shoulder, and uh, Manabu and his friends bring Tora some food, and they play around as he kind of reflects on his situation. Um, then, uh, without much warning, uh, Hiroshi's father arrives uh, in Shibamata to visit. Uh, he and Tora's family don't have much in common, and it's 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 pretty awkward uh, seeming. Uh, he asks uh, about Tora, and his uncle relays <laughs> that oh, uh, some irresponsible guy filled his head with ideas about this gentian farmhouse, and uh, his and then uh, Hiroshi's dad explains, uh, oh, that was actually me that told Tora that, and the awkwardness continues. Yeah, that was actually <laughs> my favorite Shimura bit is the way he's just like, oh, that was me. He doesn't like, <laughs> he's not offended or anything. He's just like, yeah, that was me. And, yep. and the reaction from the <laughs> uncle is amazing. <laughs> yeah, this bit's really good. Cause like then Tora arrives and kind of warmly greets uh, him. And then um, they've got like a really great relationship. And then, and then Sakura and Mito arrive and we see him kind of interacting with his grandson. And it's really nice to see Takashi Shimura laugh and look uh, kind of carefree, uh, which is, not the way that I see him a lot in films. Yeah, I put in my notes that like just his smile was shocking to see and seeing him be so warm, which both as a thing you don't see a lot out of Shimura, but also like the that character seeing mm -hmm. him go from this dour to person to kind of like lighting up at his grandson maybe signals that he is he has reevaluated like his values and where he places ideas of uh, family and work. Yeah. And, and as unusual as it was, it didn't like feel out of character or, or something like that. It, it felt natural that, that he was acting that way. Um, so yeah, after uh, Hiroshi's father uh, leaves, uh, Hiroshi and Sakura uh, can tell that um, his dad seems lonely and they unfortunately don't have room for him in their small apartment. And again, this kind of, theme of family and loneliness is, is uh, coming up in the film. Um, later at Takako's coffee shop, Tora overhears her have an argument over the phone about money. It, it seems like uh, someone who she made a contract with or something is being dishonest about her payments and is claiming that she owes uh, even more. Uh, and Tora can tell that she's in trouble, but doesn't know how to help, especially as someone that doesn't have much money himself. Um, so... He sets out on the road to, or I guess around town, to uh, sell as much as he can on the street, but is constantly being shut down by the police. This is a pretty funny little kind of montage scene where uh, he's repeatedly like selling and selling, and then a policeman will show up and say, like, ask for his permit, and Tora immediately says, oh, thank you for your hard work, and just shuts down and leaves. <laughs> um, so that evening at Takako's house, Tora arrives and gives her some gentians, and they discuss her money troubles um, in a moment that kind of reminds us that Tora is a Yakuza man. Uh, he basically offers that if there's somebody uh, giving her trouble, that he can get them out of the picture. Um, he says that he wouldn't mind losing a finger, an arm, uh, or a leg for her. And this is, you know, pretty shocking. This is practically a love confession for Tora. Like, he often is not this forward uh, about this kind of stuff. Um She's moved, but declines. Uh, she comes back at him by saying that uh, this is the first time someone has offered this much kindness to her and, and asks him about uh, his travels. 
he goes into the story that he'd heard from Hiroshi's father, but at this point finally adds to it with uh, details from his own life uh, where uh, he mentions drinking at a bar uh, as a regular and attempting to sleep on paper thin bedding, um, but being kept awake uh, by the whistle of a passing train and waking up the next morning and taking a moment to remember where you even are and, and, and talking about how this makes him think of his family uh, back in Shibamata. And uh, at this point, Takako is like swept up in the sort of romanticism of all this and saying that she, she'd often thought of uh, traveling with a loved one. And she mentions uh, the hardships that she'd be willing to endure and practically is asking Tora uh, to join him. Uh, leaving everything here behind. And Tora seems like he doesn't quite know what to do with this and is kind of cagey about when he's going to be leaving next, uh, but says that, you know, his life is nothing to envy. And at this point, she gets a phone call, and we overhear uh, uh, that things seem to be okay with the money situation. Things are kind of straightening themselves out. And after the call, she returns to the room, but Tora is gone. So back at the sweet shop, Tora's family remarks, uh, you know, they're looking at the runtime of the movie and they're saying, well, it's about time for Tora to get dumped. <laughs> um, Tora appears uh, overhearing this and says, you know, uh, yep, as usual, I was jilted um, and goes upstairs to his room. Uh, Sakura follows him. And as he packs his things, uh, he says that it's better that he leaves now. And and uh, she asks if he really thinks that. Um, Tora asks Sakura if she really envies the way that he lives, and she says that she does, uh, remarking that she wishes uh, she could make him worry sometimes. Um, the The relationship between uh, Tora and Sakura is, you know, the core of the series, in my opinion, and, and I find this interaction between them very moving, um, personally. But um, as usual, uh, Tora leaves, and Sakura uh, calls for him to return, um, we jump ahead to see um, Takako reminiscing with Tora's family about him, and they're telling stories about him and laughing, but at this point they're kind of laughing more with joy uh, and affection than in a scornful way, which is uh, maybe how they were laughing at him earlier in the movie. And uh, Tora is on another trip, and in the final scene we see him reunite with that theater troupe from the beginning. Uh, they greet him and invite him to hop onto their truck, and they drive into the distance as the closing theme plays, uh, and Tora continues his adventures. Okay, and before we get into critiques and stuff, I wanted to mention a few little kind of like uh, information tidbits. Um, I don't have a ton, uh, just a few things that stood out to me. First of all, the dollar shock is mentioned a few times in the movie. Um, this was a sort of contemporary issue in 1971 uh, when the film was uh, made. Um, I read a little bit about this online. I don't know if you guys know much about it, but it, it's a little, it's not my area of expertise, so it's a little bit <laughs> over my head, but it sounds like basically Nixon was reevaluating the yen to dollar exchange rate, and it had sort of potentially caused some economic unrest at the time in Japan. Um, I think this is kind of a good example of how you can uh, keep track of Japan's trends and history, etc., through the Torasan series. And, uh, like I was saying about uh, kind of eight, uh, watching um, Mitsuo age, uh, it's a thing that kind of uh, timestamps the movies a little bit. Interesting. Uh, um, something else along those lines that I found interesting was uh, because a lot of uh, 
kind of settings we see, it feels like it's maybe a little older than it is. Mm. And then when we do brush up with the modern, like uh, the coffee shop, which seems like very modern in 70s, it's very Western, they're doing pour over coffee and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of jolts you into remembering where the rest of the world is and how Japan, a lot of the kind of just like older architecture and, and styles of dress lingered a lot longer mm -hmm. uh, there than, than other places. It's true. Yeah. Um, the other little kind of fun thing that I uh, wanted to point out is in that, in um, uh, Takako's house, uh, when she's talking with Tora, uh, we see pretty prominently displayed an Ultraman toy. Uh, it's a little like vehicle. It's the Ultra 7 Matt Gyro um that uh is obviously her son's toy um i don't know it, it sticks out to me but maybe just because i'm a fan of ultra 7 particularly that's the the second uh of the ultraman series that ran from 1967 to 68 so it wasn't a new show in 1971 but it's you know probably a relatively new toy that you know it's conceivable that uh, manabu would have been into that show a few years ago and had bought the toy and was still playing with it or whatever I definitely noticed the toy, uh, but didn't really think much about it. It's pretty prominently displayed in the scene, but I did not expect you to know exactly what it is. So that's kind of neat. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, so um, let's let's talk a little bit about what we thought about the movie. Um, so Alex, you've seen a few Torasan movies. Um, how how did you think this one stood up? Um, I liked it. I. I thought it was slightly disjointed, mm. um, but I liked the um, I liked the overall theme of uh, of um, Torasan's way of life. His you know uh, his, basically the life that he leads traveling. Um, we get that in the story about Hiroshi's mother, and we also get that in uh, 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 Takako's. Um, like dream mm -hmm. and um i thought that was a very interesting parallel like uh like um parallel yeah uh i yeah like at first of that was disjointed but uh because the a plot and the b plot they seemed very um they seemed very different but upon rewatch um it flowed a lot better they they mixed um, together maybe thematically even though they're very separate um y yes yeah yeah, I thought, and I thought it was very cute. The thing about Torah-san films is that by the end of it, I'm always I'm always feeling very good. They're always very charming, even when he leaves. It's still sad, but then you see him, uh, you know, meet new people and carry on his way of life, and it's and it's quite cute. Uh, yeah, I'm always very struck with that feeling. It's a, it's a very like true like Torah-san mix of feelings of joy and sadness at the end. Um, feels very emotional on kind of both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, the thing I love about Tora is that you feel sorry for him, mm -hmm. but you don't. Like, it's an interesting feeling to describe. Uh, he's he's wacky, he's uh, bumbling, he can be an asshole, but he means well. Like it's 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 always a uh, you know. Yeah, you know, I it, I think this sort of theme that that I took away from it, uh, similar to what you were talking about is kind of the question, like, is Torah's life easy, you know? And yeah. it's, it's, it's like you were saying, it's very like complex and nuanced, which I appreciate a lot. Like in the end, we do see him having those friendly interactions with the people that he meets on his journey, but 
we've also heard him lament, you know, the loneliness of this life. Um, and I, 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 I love how this is shown through his decision to leave Takako, uh, uh, who's a woman who he might have actually had a shot with. But, um, you know, on one hand, in, in the occasional instances where a Madonna kind of falls for Torah, he does sort of leave them because he doesn't quite know what to do with that. But like, on the other hand, he's also sort of making the decision to protect her from this kind of hard life, which, you know, of course has complications with like kind of taking the agency away from her and stuff and making these decisions for her. But like, um, I think that's what I like is this sort of like things where nothing's clearly like, uh, one way or the other. There's a lot of complexity to it. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing that kind of frustrated me a little bit about this movie is that there wasn't any clear cut reason that to me that, you know, he needed to leave her. And yeah. I, I, you root for Torah and I'm like, but Torah, this is what you want. Like, <laughs> what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> I, I, I saw it as, as him sort of saying like, like he can't take her with him cause he doesn't want to subject her to that kind of difficult life. But also, True he wouldn't really know what to do as far as like settling in and staying with her there. You know, I always took it as this, like, you know, the mentality of being a man, like, mm. you know, ah, well, unfortunately I have to go because the wind beckons me. Like, it's very sure. like, yeah, well, it, you know, I'm, I must be contrary because yeah. now this is too easy. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it it seemed very uh you know what's the what's the word uh i don't know but very like manly like right this like is the, man, the manly thing to do sacrificial yeah stoic yeah, just for yes for the sake of being so mm-hmm. like yeah mm-hmm. yeah totally but well I, he he has this sort of like idea of what it is to be a tough dude but like that's shown through him like constantly giving people money that he doesn't have and things like that and trying to act like a big tough yakuza guy kind of you know Oh. Is the um is the title of the movie referring to like the call of Torah's life, like the life that he leads? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> a lot of times these these English titles don't relate super well to what uh, the actual Japanese title is. Um, yeah. This would be a great but, time to have Steven on. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Um, well, as the, far as I know, the actual Japanese title just means love song. Yeah, that's what the Wikipedia translates it as. Um, which there isn't particularly a song, but there's the story um, that is said repeated times. What about that song that he sings as he's leaving uh, the candy shop? Like the Beckle Beckle, like, and his uncle is like is supremely annoyed about it. Oh, yeah. That's Could true. That <laughs> Could that be it? Maybe. There's also the song that he forces Sakura to sing. Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, so, Scott, what were your general feelings on this movie? I, I've i got such problems and mixed feelings with these. I, I hate Torasan as a character and don't find him sympathetic whatsoever. <laughs> but the, the way the movie is is shot and directed and the performances of the supporting cast are so good. Uh, to me, like, I want this series, but instead of being about Torjiro, it's about Sakura. Uh, <laughs> Chieko Baisho is, like, is all the scenes she's in are, are just filled with an incredible amount of emotion. Mm-hmm. 
and she is so good and like cares about her brother so much and he just constantly like dumps on her and puts her in these terrible situations and i have so much sympathy for her and none for him at all um but seeing seeing her interact with him is always interesting uh all the stuff with uh hiroshi's family was very good um and so there's lots of parts of this movie that like I kind of wish I could excise into a different movie that was not about Torijiro. Aw. <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, the ending is is interesting to me because I, this is only the second one of these I've seen, so I don't know uh, Torijiro as well as you guys do, but the idea that he is uh, leaving uh, Takoko because he thinks that like life on the road is, is harsh and she doesn't really, she she thinks she wants that, but she doesn't really seems like overly introspective for him. Mm -hmm. Usually in, in what I've seen of these movies, he's, he doesn't realize, or he doesn't come to, to epiphanies or realizations like that until he's jolted into it by somebody like yelling at him. Hmm. or some other thing that he has messed up kind of blowing up in his face and then he realizes what a problem it is and so this kind of like both introspection and uh compassion from him in his own way seems a little out of character and like i don't see that depth in the rest of his character but uh at first i wasn't sure if when that scene happens, if it's because he thinks that that's too harsh for her or if he realizes that he doesn't want to give up that life on the road. But then I was glad that at least in the scene following when he's talking to Sakura, when he's like, do you envy my life on the road? And kind of like is actually shows that he's actually thinking about these things Mm -hmm. and thinking about how his, his family feels. And I just don't think that, and, and I mean, maybe like getting to know this character over uh, six other movies that I have not seen kind of gives you a better feeling for that. But yeah. nothing else in the two that I've seen kind of exhibit that level of introspection. Yeah, I think I I think that's a fair point for sure. I, I um, would say like rather than him being like yelled at, I think the sort of thing that shakes him maybe is her being kind of like, hey, I want to come with you. I want to be partners with you. Like, uh, I think maybe the way that he acts is kind of easy because he knows that he can get away, you know, uh, that he can sort of escape and that things aren't really like there's not as much consequence to it. And so, like, I think he never really confronts the idea of actually settling down with these women that he falls in love with, um, although he doesn't know that maybe consciously. And then once he's kind of confronted with someone who wants to join him, he's like, I think on one half kind of running away, but on another half kind of like forced to really think about what he's doing and see himself with outside eyes, maybe. So he, he he may not admit like, this is not what I actually want. So he looks for kind of other potential justifications in his head Mm, for why this does not work. So I was thinking about her son Mm -hmm. uh, during that, during that bit. Uh, like perhaps that would be like if I were Tora, that would be the reason that I wouldn't want her to give up the life that she currently has. 
Right. Because her son is, like, there's no father in the picture, Mm -hmm. and they only have each other. So if she goes off on her own, what does that, you know, what does that make her boy? Right. That didn't really pop into my head, I think, in part because Torsan's entire arc with the son is that, like, the the one thing he is really good at is being happy-go-lucky and making friends. And so the... I would think that to him, the the big concern was like, how is this child going to overcome getting along with other children on the road? And because he's learning from Torah, he can just make friends with anybody and feel at home anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's, it's, it's less that he is actually worried about the son and just like the conditions of having to be on the road. That makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, in general, um, my thoughts is, you know, I love this one. Uh, you know, uh, the reason why I picked it, uh, besides the, just that I really do love this kind of um, reflection on Tora's character of, like, asking whether or not his life is easy is, uh, you know, obviously uh, this one stands out as being another one that Takashi Shimura is heavily featured in. And kind of on that note, this, you know, this movie is on the somber side. You know, it starts with a funeral, <laughs> kind of goes from there uh but it still has a lot of ha- laughs and uh you know fills my heart with joy as much as sadness um as alex and i were saying they're kind of true <laughs> uh taurus on mixture um so yeah um what about uh favorite scenes uh how about you scott did you have a favorite scene that you wanted to highlight um i it's weird because I don't know that I would call this a favorite scene since it was so hard to watch, but it's just like incredibly gripping. Uh, once again, because of uh, Chieko Baisho, is when he comes home with the with the two other workers and they're drunk, and he makes Sakura sing that song, and just like the the song itself and her emotion in that moment is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got to get you some uh, other Chico Baisho movies, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I would love um, that. Yeah, there's, she did a really great one with Yoji Yamada uh, called Distant Cry from Spring. That's her and um, Ken Takakura. That's really great. And there's some earlier films before Torasan that she did with Yoji Yamada that I'm kind of hoping to see somehow, some way. But um, Alex, did you have a favorite film or scene in the film? <laughs> I did, yeah. Yeah. Um... Like I said, I think I think Takashi Shimura took it took it away, um, and it's the scene where uh, where uh, Tora's uncle is talking to him about like, oh, this this ridiculous man, uh, you know, gave Tora this notion, <laughs> and like that whole scene, yeah. I love, especially when Tora comes back in and they have this like friendship, this like mm-hmm. this like unspoken friendship, and like, how are you? Oh, I'm well. You know, it's 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 very nice, and then. Uh, when Mitsuo comes in and Tora's basically like, hey, come on, this is your grandson. Like, be warm, be gentle. Like, you're, you're looking so stern all the time. And uh, seeing uh, Shimura smile was really cool. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I totally. He, I, I don't recall really seeing him smile on a whole lot. Maybe in Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. But um, but generally in the movies that we've been watching, he's very uh, has a very somber look to him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it makes uh, it very I like that. I like that scene a whole lot too, mostly because the contrast in like uh, Tatsuzo and Hiroshi sitting there, like 
very proper and vaguely nervous <laughs> and, yeah. and, and everything. And then uh, Torjiro comes in and just kind of like lounges about and is super casual. It's such an interesting contrast. Yeah, he and, just kind yeah. of cuts through the awkwardness like butter. <laughs> he, yeah. shoves, he shoves. And the father doesn't bat an eye. Shoves Hiroshi out of the way. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, eh, you don't need to be here talking to your dad. Who cares? <laughs> He's my dad now. <laughs> yeah, that's basically. <laughs> it's funny because I did feel, uh, I did feel that sense that like that. Tora had a much stronger relationship with mm-hmm. with Hiroshi's father than Hiroshi did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my personal favorite uh, part is that turn. Uh, for Tora, where he's uh, relaying that story that we'd heard so many times, uh, but he's telling it to Takako, and he he starts, um, you know, putting in these actual details about his own life, and you see him like really starting to like feel it. In fact, uh, that might be another kind of uh, moment that l- makes that turn where he leaves less sudden is kind of the idea that here he's finally really internalizing. Uh, the 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 harshness of the life that he's he's living by telling the story and kind of reflecting uh, on himself and just the setting and stuff is really great like it's kind of like it's it's the evening so it's dark and it's like super windy like jumping ahead a little bit I love like when he's leaving uh, after he's had that sort of emotional talk with Sakura and there's like super windy weather kind of like whipping the signs and stuff around that makes it seem very dramatic you know that he's leaving um but yeah um i just i just love like kind of following that story from the moment that shimura tells it uh through it sort of being hollowed out a little bit you know like through tora uh telling it uh unconvincingly and and him kind of misinterpreting it in some ways and then him finally uh making it his own um, did you have anything else that you wanted to say about this movie before we call it a day? I'm good. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Uh, that was another <laughs> installment of the record-breaking 48 film Torasan series. Down, <laughs> two down, 46 to go. Or I don't know. <laughs> uh, I I I I'm a little like um conflicted now, knowing that um Scott's not like super digging him uh, about like what we should do, but maybe maybe one a year won't won't kill you but <laughs> yeah it's it's like i said it's it's difficult because watching them because of how little i like torjiro mm-hmm. is like frustrating and occasionally hard to watch but everything like they're incredibly well made movies and i love the rest of the cast so much that it's just hard to reconcile together <laughs> mhm mhm totally uh but so uh moving forward uh what are we going to be talking about in february scott uh, we're going to be talking about Takashi Miike's 100th film uh, adaptation of the manga Blade of the Immortal, uh, which I believe came out last year. Mm-hmm. I have not watched it yet, but it comes highly recommended. And from the trailer, I'm super excited to see it. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one, I think, um, for sure. Um, and uh, so, Scott, where can people follow you on social media, etc.? Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at VriskaChat, V-R-I-S-K-A-C-H-A-T. Uh, I don't have much going on right now, uh, but pop in there, talk to me about Japanese film or anything else that strikes your fancy. Yeah. Uh, into a lot of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'd say, you know, if you follow all three of us on Twitter, you can see us talk to each other and stuff. <laughs> so, Alex, uh, how about you? Uh, I'm at Dude Exclamation on Twitter. Uh, Tumblr, Instagram, whatever. Don't really use Tumblr anymore, but hey, it's a social media venue, whatever. Uh, I can occasionally be heard on the One Piece podcast, uh, perhaps even more regularly coming up. Stay tuned. Um, my schedule may allow for me to come back on the show on a weekly basis, which will be great. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and please check out uh, the comic strip that I am uh, that I've been doing uh, every single day of the month of January. It's called Death Junior. It's being uh, it's written by my friends Sean Paul Ellis and David Trumbor, who have their own podcast called Saturday Morning Cartoons. That's morning spelt like like morning someone who has died. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it's it's cute. Uh, check it out, please. Uh, I think it's at uh, Death Jr. Comic, or I wish I knew what it was off the top of my head. <laughs> Google uh, it. But if you, yeah, Google Death Junior. Um, it's a comic strip. It's fun. Cool. Um, I'm at Joey Weiser on Twitter. Uh, JoeyWeiser.tumblr.com is where I post news about uh, my comics work and stuff. I'm a cartoonist. Uh, the Five book um, Merman graphic novel series is all out now in hardcover and and coming out in softcover. I think the softcover for volume four is coming out in February. So uh, as you listen to this, uh, it might be in stores now. Um, so uh, look out for that um, and uh, and and then follow our podcast as well. Uh, we're at Toho Yaro on Twitter and we've got a Facebook page as well. Uh, we post lots of like fun movie news and and uh, stuff about our episodes and images from the movies that we've watched and stuff like that. Um, the uh, this is a little late in the game, but uh, just a couple days ago, I heard about a, a challenge that people were having called Japanuary, where people are trying to watch eight uh, Japanese movies in the month of January. So uh, I'm tweeting a little bit about that myself and trying to, through our Toho Yara account, keep track of some people that are doing that as well. So, um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, and of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. <laughs> I said I was a little rusty. Uh, and rate and review us. Uh, that would make us feel great and help the show out a lot. Um, and tune in next month for Blade of the Immortal. <laughs>